What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Telling TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, October the 21st, the year 2022. Lots to do here on this weekend program here in the uh, middle of the month of October. Recaps, get, Recap of games one and two of the American League Championship Series between the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. It's an off day here today on Friday before the series resumes uh, Friday, or excuse me, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday uh, up at the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. Recap of games one and two as that series is uh, as at a dead even not at one game apiece between the Phillies and the Padres as the series resumes tonight in the uh, city of brotherly love at a Citizens Bank Park. Of course, week seven preview across the National Football League and the week seven uh, picks against the spread. But where we will begin is with the uh, Yankee game uh, last night and with uh, the American League Championship uh, Series during its uh, during its off music off off music during its uh, off day, and uh, that the New York Yankees, ladies and gentlemen, are finished. They're finished. They're dead. They're done. They're kaput. And I at least was nice enough to give them a game. I said Astros in five. It looks like that this series could be over by Sunday. And that you would have a pretty long layoff for the Astros in between game four, which is scheduled for Sunday, which is scheduled for uh, Sunday night, all the way up until... Uh, the later parts of the week of the week that follows uh, for game one of the World Series. But because the New York Yankees, I understand that the Astros haven't been blowing them out. The final scores of these games haven't been 7 nothing, 7-1, 5-nothing, 6-nothing, 6-2, 8-1, 10-0, I understand that. And even though the and even though the Astros have won these have won, you know, the first five games of the uh, of their postseason run in close uh in close fashion where they haven't been uh, you know, where they haven't been the complete runaways, they still are the best team in the American League. They are the best team in the American League. They had their roster is stacked to the is, is stacked to their armpits in talent. They are they have a lot of depth at many a different not just depth within their bullpen, depth with their position players. Pena is a, is a, the shortstop whose Correa's replacement who is great. Um, uh, of course, Bregman. Of course, the uh, players that have been around a while: Bregman, Altuve, Guriel. Albeit Altuve is on a slump, he's made uh, he's made uh, his fair share of contributions, uh, de- on you know in the field on the def you know uh, with his defense at second base. Guriel's homered a couple. Guriel's come up with a couple of big hits. Uh, homered earlier in this series, uh, and then of course you know the starting pitching. You know what can just what can be said about this about their starting pitching Verlander bounced back from the horrendous game one he had against Seattle last week he goes out there game one six innings six innings of work three hits one run strikes out 11 
Only mistake he made was the second inning. Uh, solo home run with one out uh, that Harrison Bader got off of, that Harrison Bader hit off of him, who has been really the Yankees, one of the Yankees' best uh, postseason players uh of of these uh, of these last the uh, five games that they've played uh of course the three the uh, or not the last five games the last uh seven games that they've played the five against cleveland the first two here against houston uh you know the yankees uh, I, I don't know what what the i mean i know what the yankees issue are the yankees are a flawed team their roster is flawed they're not they are a regular season baseball team they're put together meant to win over 90, 95, you know, 100 games throughout the span of 162, uh, throughout the span of 162 uh, games in a regular season. But they are not, they are not built. And this falls on Cashman and we can assess many a blame if and when the Yankees get knocked out uh, later on in the month. But we all know that the New York Yankees are not are not built to. Uh, they're a flawed roster, and they are not a championship level roster. They are not built to be World Series. They're not built uh, like a World Series championship caliber roster should be. They are too feast or famine. They got a lot of guys in their lineup that can't hit. Josh Donaldson can can hit good pitching, albeit he had a nice double. Uh, for what it's worth, and was stranded on second base early, early in game two last night. Donaldson barely hitting his weight. He can't hit. Uh, he can't hit top tier pitching. Stanton, although he's had a couple of big home run, he had a couple of big home runs in the Cleveland series. He's done nothing. Uh, Judge can't hit his weight. He's hitting. He's he's been awful. I could care less about the the only one stadium where that ball is a home run. That fly ball to right field is a home run. Is only one place, and that's Yankee Stadium, which is which is a which is a band box of a ballpark, and uh, and, and you know you had cheapies and that short porch there in right field. So I am not crying a river for Aaron Judge under any circumstances whatsoever. I mean, and 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 we don't give up participation trophies, let alone for players that wear the New York Yankee uniform. Bottom line is Aaron Judge. Who is a who has not been historically a a, a good postseason hitter uh, has not been a has not uh, you know played well in the last seven postseason games for the Yankees under any circumstances. So uh, you know Glaber Tor Glaber Torres is uh, is has been up to no good at the plate. It's basically it's been the Harrison Bader show. Who's hitting two seventy three this postseason, and their second best hitter has been Rizzo at two sixty seven. But he went down zero for four with two strikeouts last night. You know Torres can't Torres can't hit his weight. Carpenter unfair to him, but he hasn't been getting the job done. You know he's coming off of uh, coming off the uh, IL with the injury that sat him down for the back half, or excuse me, for the back end of the regular season, and he's trying to, you know, come up clutch for his team. While also trying to get the rehab, get the quote unquote rehab bed bats in, and it's and it's and it's been and it's been a another train wreck. Too many trying to juggle and trying to do too much in such short amount of time, and and you look up and he hasn't done anything in this postseason to speak of uh, to speak of either. It's just it's a flawed lineup. It's a bad lineup. Uh, again, two feast of famine, and the only players you really got to worry about 
not even including Stanton. It's Bader, Judge, and Rizzo. That's it. Uh, Donaldson, like I said, has has had his horrendous moments at the plate uh, over the last seven games. And the thing that would concern you with the Yankees is that you know what is is the thing that concerns you with the Yankees more than anything is that they're helpless. You get the feeling watching them that they that they know internally deep down that they're not as good as Houston. They know they're not as good as Houston. They know they're not as resourceful as Houston. They sure as hell aren't as mentally tough and as scrappy as Houston is because you every single every it's cuz it seemed like damn near every single Yankee underneath the sun was bitching and moaning about the fact that the roof was open and the wind and, and with the roof open and the wind swirling inside the building, that the that the uh, that the wind killed what would have been a go-ahead home run by Judge uh, during the uh, back end of last night's game. Okay, if you're the New York Yankees and you've struck out thirty times in in the, in in the in the first two games of this series and your offense has been completely inept, you can't hit, you're striking out, swinging and missing left and right, you're piss poor at bats, your plate disciplines in the toilet. I cannot listen to to Severino or Boone or anybody within a Yankee clubhouse moaning, groaning, bellyache about uh, about about the roof being open and making excuses with the Yankees when you got when you got one of the hot you got the hot one you got the highest payroll in the American in the American League okay you burn money every single year you're the big bad New York Yankees okay teams teams you know the Baltimore Orioles wish they had the resources that the New York Yankees had. And if the Orioles had the resources that the New York Yankees had, maybe it's the Orioles playing in the American League CS instead of you. I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole in that situation or in that last statement, but, but you get where I'm coming from. The bottom line is, is that nobody, no fan of all the other teams, the American League, are, are are crying a river for the New York Yankees. Bottom line is the New York Yankees. You got you got the. I mean, let's just go ahead and say it. You got the American League MVP and Aaron Judge. Okay, broke the franchise and the American League single season home run record uh, during the regular season with sixty three home runs. Okay, Stanton's making a Stanton's making a fortune. Rizzo's is is a twenty sixteen World Series champion, a solid postseason hitter historically with the Cubs in his own right from six years ago. It's it's enough. No excuses. I don't hear about Glaber Torres, IKF. I'm not interested. The bottom line is you're the Yankees, third time. Third ALCS in the last what five years that you've gone you know uh, that you've gone up against Houston uh, is no excuses. Your job is 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 to go down there, find a way to win some games, out pitch Houston, out hit Houston, and find a way to make sure that by the time the series gets back to the Bronx, it's split. No, it, you, it you're no worse at a one-one even dead split. Instead, you're down 0-2, two losses away from elimination, where essentially if Garrett Cole doesn't throw a, doesn't practically throw a no-hitter, a complete game shutout no-hitter enchilada in game three, you're dead. And pray that Judge gets a hold of one like he did in game two, and being in New York, and excuse me, being in Yankee Stadium, he's fortunate enough where the ball goes out, where the ball goes out of the ballpark. Well, that's if the Yankees can hit. If Garrett Cole, you know, goes eight innings 
and uh, throws complete gem of a masterpiece, and then Boone, you know, goes with, goes with his bullpen and goes either Loisago or Clay Holmes or goes to anybody in the back end of his bullpen, and they and they get a little and they get into a little bit of a of a of a of a of a rough patch against you know and allows Altuve of all people to break out of his slump. It doesn't even have to be you know a two run home run, a three run home run, a bases clearing double or a grand slam. Just one bad pitch to Bregman, Altuve, who's due, Alvarez, who's cooled off after after being on fire the first two games uh, against Seattle last week. One one bad mistake, and, and, and you're dead. So it really, I mean, it matters because, again, you can't allow the Astros, who's capable of lighting up the scoreboard, to go crazy offensively. But at this point in the series, when the Yankees' offense has been downright embarrassing, and again, thirty strikeouts in two games, it's you're from a Yankee perspective, you're at the point where it really doesn't matter how well you pitch in the grand scheme of things with your starting pitching with Cole in Game Three, or how your bullpen does when it's when it's ever whenever it's time for you know for Cole's night night to be finished. It really it really doesn't matter. Because again, they can go out there and throw a literally Severino, who allowed a couple of guys to get on base, but the one bad mistake ended up costing them. The Yankee lineup should be able; they were able to get two other runs back, but it shouldn't be you know sitting through a root canal or 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 or, or have getting the pull teeth for the Yank for the New York these you know with Judge six two home runs that came within an eyelash and winning the triple crown. It should not it should not be having to you know like sitting through at the dentist getting a tooth pulled to find, for the Yankees to come to come up with one lousy run to tie the game up. One one big hit. Bregman threw on home run, game's over. And again, flawed roster, but they have enough have enough to at least somehow, some way, be able to punch back for three runs. Somehow, some way. Judge, he's got to hit better. You know, hit he he can't he can't hit his weight. Hitting one hitting one seventy nine in the post. I understand he's tired and 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 it was and it was a lot thin the back end of the you know in the month of September and the first few days of of, of this month in the regular season. You know, the pressure of trying to uh, break Maris's home run record. But still, this is a guy that wants a big-time contract. You know, betting on himself wants a big-time contract. He can't hit his weight. Stanton had a couple of nice home runs, a couple of nice big-time clutch hits against the Guardians. But that's an, but that series is old news at this point. Sitting 167. Torres 148. I mean, Harrison Bader, who won, who who couldn't even contribute to this to this lineup when he first got traded from the Cardinals to the Yankees, and he's been their only source of life offensively for the most part. And he's hitting two seventy three in this series. That's nice, but that's not, you know, when you the New York Yankees. Your best player can't be hitting two seventy three, and and you expect to get away with it. You look at the Astros. Multi Mononado's hitting two seventy three. That's what 
One. That's one, two, three, four. That's fifth best in Houston's lineup. Fifth best. Pena's hitting three thirty-three. Bregman's hitting three eighteen. Guriel's hitting four oh nine. McCormick's hitting three oh eight. You factor all of that in, hell, you you see why they're able to manage with Altuve being in the slump that he's in. The only chance, the only chance the Yankees have of somehow, someway getting the series back to Houston for a game six is if their bats explode. If they can't hit, they are not going to win. I don't care how well Cole pitches. We saw the same thing with Houston when they played Seattle in Game 3. Eventually, they're, the Houston's lineup's too talented and too deep for, for you to hold them, for you to, for you to shut them out. Eventually, even in a nothing-nothing scoreless tie through 17 innings, Houston and their talent is going to prevail in the end. If you don't capitalize on the opportunities that, that you give yourself and are presented to you. You cannot, you, one for four run, hitting with runs in scoring position is not good enough. Not good enough. 0 for four in game one, not good enough. Leaving seven guys on base in game one. It's not good enough. This team's got to be able to hit. Cole can go out there and allow Don Larson and throw a perfect game. If the Yankees score zero runs, what is it good for? And we said it had it came and we said it coming into this series, and it still holds true. The Yankees have got to be able to hit and hit in Houston if they expect to win this series. Because even if they sweep, even if they sweep the three games at Yankee Stadium this weekend. And the series somehow, someway, by some miracle, goes back to Houston for game six with the Yankees a one away from winning the pennant. Who's to say that their bats can't fall cold in game six and in game seven? Even if the Yankees go 3-0 and 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 win, get, and win game three, five-nothing, win game, or win game three, five-nothing, win game four, eight to two, and win game five, 15 to zero. If they can't find a way to hit, get run when they in when the rare situations when they do have runners in scoring position, they can't get them home. If they can't get them home, if they can't get big time hits, hell, if they can't reach base, they have no chance. One of the problems with this Yankee team is that they don't put the ball in play. Enough. Don't put the ball in play. They don't give the Astros. I understand they made an error. They made an error in game one and made two errors in game two. They don't put the ball in play enough. Cut down the strikeouts. Put the ball in play more and have better at bats and and and, and have a and have a more precise and patient approach at the plate. Maybe the, maybe the Astros defense makes a couple of mistakes here and there. 
We saw it a little bit in game two. Put the ball and play a little more. Play a little bit of small ball. What happened? You got two runs out of it. The only thing is that the Yankees just couldn't sustain it. Severino, one bad pitch. And essentially that was the game. And I'm tired of Boone, Severino, all of them. I'm, I'm tired of the New York Yankees. Crime, like Justin Timberlake, crime me a river. I am so sick of the excuses of the belly aching and the moaning and the groaning and the woe is me mindset and the woe is me attitude. You're the New York blanking Yankees. Nobody cares. Nobody's crying a river for you. This is the third ALCS in the last five years you've played against this damn team. And you and you are just getting owned up and down, sideways, backwards and forwards like nobody's business and aren't even competitive in the, in the ALCS games you play in that building. You get your asses kicked in Houston in the regular season and you get your asses kicked in Houston in October. At the end of the day, at some point, will will the Yankees look themselves in the mirror and, and look at themselves? Look at themselves, admit blame, admit fault, admit shortcoming, raise their right hand and say, you know what, we got to be better than this. I, the, the, the roof being open with the wind, irrelevant. Bottom line is, we got we to gotta get, we, four hits is not good enough. Four hits is not good enough. We got to be able to, when we do in the rare times, we put, we, when we have runners on the bases, we got to bring them home and we got to be able to capitalize and get the big hit. Game one, they could not get the big hit when there were still chances for them to win the game and, and, and still game one late in the game, ninth in it put together a little bit, they could not finish the job. That's how you lose games. Not by the roof being open and the wind kicking in, swirling in and keeping a home run that's only that's only a home run in one in literally one other ballpark in the sport, and that's your band box. That's Yankee Stadium. And another thing with the with the Yankees too. You know what the problem is? Outside of the fact that their roster is poorly put together, it's a flawed roster. Cashman deserves to go. The fact that he will have his job. How Stein? If the Yankees aren't careful, they are. Li they are literally. If they are not careful, they are on the verge and on the cusp of becoming the Dallas Cowboys of Major League Baseball, a franchise that's that's hyped up, talked about constantly. Because of the cachet, the aura, and the history and the historical significance of the franchise and the championships of the past. But yet, in the here and now, they haven't done a damn thing. If they're not careful. If Hal Steinbrenner doesn't wake the hell up and take a couple of lessons from his father. As I can tell you right now, I, George Steinbrenner died when I was 8 years old. But from all the clips that I've seen, the stories that I that I that I've heard and been told, and and all the digging that I've done as a diehard baseball fan all my life, George Steinbrenner would not stand for this. But getting back to my point, and then I'll take a break and then get to the National League Championship. You know what the problem with the Yankees is, among other things. But you, but you know what not. But on when it comes to the the clubhouse environment, not not Boone necessarily, or yes Boone necessarily in this situation, but not Cashman. Huh? You know what the problem is? 
They are a mentally weak and Charmin ultra soft baseball team. They have no guts. They have no fight. They have no they they that that meme that you see all the time that meme you see all the time. They have no dog in them. Where's that dog? Not D O G D O double D U D A W G. Where is that? They do the Yankees don't they're not in Judge, it's not in Stanton, it's not in Donaldson as much as he thinks he's a rough rider, he's not. No. They have no dog within themselves. They are a Charmin ultra soft baseball team. You see it from Garrett Cole whenever when he deals with a piss poor strike zone or opening you go all the way back to April opening day. Billy Crystal took a little bit too long for ceremonial first pitch, and Garrett Cole's panties was in a twist. Strike zone's not perfect. Pitch calm done work. People stealing signs. Any little thing that doesn't go Garrett Cole's way, he sits up in the dugout and towards the media, eyes glossy-eyed, crying, bitching, and moaning, and carrying on like, like, like a child. And if he was standing right there, I'd say it right to his face, hand on heart, hand to God. One of the most mentally weak, soft, professional athletes I've ever seen in my life, Garrett Cole. No dog, no competitive, no, uh, no dog, no mental toughness, no uh, no moral fiber as, uh, as, uh, as uh, Marv Levy used to say all the time. He has none of that. One little thing doesn't go his way. He cries. He yells and screams. He throws a fit. Throws a tantrum. Aaron Boone, Severino, all of them. Roofs open. Lil Windy at Houston last night. Prevents a homer from going out of the ballpark. Yankees essentially want to cry, moan, and groan, and scream to the heavens that, that it was luck. Bregman. And that gets a home run, get 90-something mile an hour fastball, middle in, quick hands, is able to put, not great wood on it, but just enough, he hits it into the Crawford boxes for three on home run. And we won't sip it to about, it was lucky, is this, that. Shut up. Shut up. Okay? Shut up. Stop the excuses. Stop moaning and groaning. I don't want to hear it, and I know damn sure the Yankee fan doesn't want to hear it. Team makes enough excuses to make you vomit. Okay? So my father told me all the time. He said, son, excuses serve no purpose. So he told me he tells me all the time. Excuses are like assholes. Everybody has one. And they, and most of the time, if not all the time, they all stink. They are a mentally weak baseball team. Houston, the Houston Astros, whether they're managed under AJ Hinch. Cheating and not cheating, or Dusty Baker, they got guts. They got toughness. They got fight. They are mentally tough. They got grit. They don't go down without a fight. You gotta you gotta play your ass off for nine innings to beat those some bitches. Yankees don't have that dog. The Astros do. Take a break. Get to the NLCS. This is the Amtelicatelius Podcast.
Welcome back to the I'm Telling You Is podcast. That's one of the greatest songs of all time, man. I tell you that there there is nothing. If anyone tells you that Beyonce isn't a big time artist, <clears throat> Christopher Russo, I'm talking to you. Uh, ignore them. Beyonce is the creme de la creme of uh, musical artists, especially of her generation and it's of the uh, 21st century. But. I digress. We move our attention to the National League Championship Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the uh, San Diego Padres. The series is tied at a game of peace. As the series will resume here on Friday night uh, in the city of Burley Love at Citizens Bank Park as the uh, venue sees its first NLCS since 2010. The Phillies took care of business in game one. Uh, it was it was a quick game. Pitchers duel, only four combined hits. Uh, the Phillies getting the only runs of the game. Solo shots by uh, Kyle Schwarber with an absolute moonshot to the top to the top tank in right field and Bryce Harper, and that's all she wrote for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies offensively. Uh, meanwhile, Zach Wheeler, what an outing, what a performance in game one, seven innings pitch, a run, one, uh, hit given up, uh, w- walked the batter, struck out eight, a sensational job by him. Things got a little hairy, uh, in the, uh, bottom of the ninth inning, uh, Alvarado walk, Alvarado, uh, well, let me just read you the, uh, read you the, um. The uh, recap here in the bottom of the ninth. Things got a little hairy in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, after a uh, one-out ground out by uh, Austin Nola, Jerickson Profar walks uh, walks the following at bat. Juan Soler reaches on a fielder's choice after uh, Jerickson Profar made it in safely at second base on what should have been a game-ending double play, which set up the stage uh, for Manny Machado to at least get a run on the board. Second best case scenario uh, to uh, tie the game with the tying runner. Soto on first base, and then Machado, of course, being the winning run at the plate. Machado flies out the right field, and Josh Bell goes down swinging. So the Padres are able to get a rally going in the bottom of the ninth inning thanks to a walk and a fielder's choice, but they could not deliver home the goods uh, in game one. They head into game two on Wednesday, and uh, and the Philadelphia Phillies, who looked like they were going to be flying their way 3,000 miles back east with a 2 nothing series lead with a uh, with a 2 nothing series lead with a uh, with a 4 nut with a 4 nothing lead and that went by the board uh, a 4 nothing lead through the through an inning and a half and then here come the Padres in the bottom of the second saying, no, 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 not in our house. Are we going to lose two games in a row? And it begins with a Brandon Jury uh, home run off of Aaron Nola, the right field, to make it 4-1. Then here comes Josh Bell later inning to slice the the uh, Phillies lead in half 4-2. And then, it, and then the Phillies sit on that lead for about three innings, 4-2, heading into the bottom of the fifth. And Nola brings home, uh, brings home a Nick Castellanos, a hit off his brother Aaron, which was a pretty cool sight to see to bring the uh, to bring the Padres within a run. And then uh, later on, Ron, Juan Soto brings Nola home, brings Nola home since Jerickson Profar the third to make it a four-four to tie the game up at four games apiece. And then after a uh, Brandon Drury single. 
uh, a Brandon Drury single, a Josh Bell single. The uh, Padres put themselves out in front by the score of seven to four, and then the uh, and then Manny Machado goes deep uh, in the bottom of the seventh inning to make it eight four San Diego. Top eight, Reese Hoskins gets the uh, Phillies within three with the solo home run, but the Manny Machado home run in the bottom of the seventh inning ended up being the coup de gras as the Padres win game two and tie the series up in a game of peace by the final score of uh, 8-5. Lots of offense in game two, unlike, unlike in game one, where in game one you had a combined four hits and only two runs in the game. Game two, you had a, com- you had a uh, combined... Uh, 13 runs, one error by San Diego, and you had a combined 20, yeah, 21 combined hits in game two, 13 runs compared to game one where you had four combined hits and, and only two runs with, with the, uh, with the Phillies being responsible for the only two. So they had five, so five run fifth inning, uh, bottom of the fifth inning after the Phillies went off for a four run second. Uh, was a tremendous job by the Padres. You thought that, now listen, it was it wasn't like the game was uh that the game was you know wasn't still in doubt, wasn't still in question. It was, you know, the their big time rally did come in the fifth inning. There was still plenty and the and the uh, Phillies uh, big inning came early and they're only their second turn at bat in the second. So one like you know they were down to their final out, final strike, bottom of the ninth like in game one or it came in the seventh, eighth inning, you know, later in the game where the, you know, where the chances of winning, uh, go, you know, it's, uh, you know, get slimmer and slimmer as the, as the game went by. But, you know, the Padres give them tremendous credit. You know, they fought back their bats. The sensational John Man Machado's had a hell of a season, uh, and a, not in a solid postseason. uh, you know, with a nice home run in the bottom of the seventh inning and, and and they came up clutch, and that's the thing with this Padres, and that's the thing with the with this Padres team. You got to give them credit for it. They are a mentally tough, uh, they are a mentally tough baseball team. They are an opportunistic baseball team, and they are a uh, and they are a they belong to be playing in the NLCS. We can sit up here and quibble or they lost, they lost 20 less games than the Dodgers. The bottom line is this team does, this team deserves to be here. Okay. Juan Soto, Juan Soto, who is, who has not been great this postseason, has had a bit, has had, you know, had a one win one for five with an RBI, uh, in game two. give, uh, in Manny Machado going back to him three hit afternoon for him three for five, uh, three for five, of course, with the solo home run. He's hitting three oh six in this uh, postseason. Uh, he's done a sensational job. And how about Austin Nola, the catcher, who's hitting three twenty one for San Diego, uh, hitting three twenty one for San Diego here in the postseason. Uh, has done a sensational job for them. Trent Grisham, they've got a lot of production from in the Padres in the Dodgers series, and then of course in Game Two, they've gotten a lot of production. Offensively, from the from the uh, bottom uh, portion of the order, Grisham was hitting uh, was hitting uh, you know who's hit two eighty six so far in the postseason. He's done not game two notwithstanding, but in game but uh, in the uh, postseason, especially against the uh, Dodgers, he's done a he's done a sensational job. Machado hitting in the three holes done a good job. They you expect more out of Drury, Drury, Su- Drury, Myers, Soto hasn't hit. 
uh, you know, Kim's hitting 188. So the Padres have been, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I picked the Phillies to win this series because the because the Phillies have a much better uh, offense than the than the Padres do. The Padres, there were games going back to the Dodgers series, and of course in Game One where they got shut where they got shut out and couldn't buy a hit. Uh, you know, they have their moments where their bats go ice cold. Uh, but, um, but I, I like Philadelphia. I like their offense. Uh, you know, uh, Bryce Harper is having a sensational postseason hitting 419 and in game two, he went two, he went a two for four in the afternoon. Gene Segura is hitting 280. Uh, so I, I, I like their, I like their offense production more consistent offense production more than I like San Diego. And I also think, you know, and, uh, you think it doesn't? You think it doesn't matter, but it does. You know the fact that they are going to be playing these next three games in Philadelphia. And while I say it, let me let's just go ahead for good measure and check what the uh, forecast is going to be in Philadelphia this weekend. It you may you may think it may not be a big deal, but the fact that well actually not that bad. It'll be sixty. It'll be let's go by game time. Game time it'll be f- around 57 55 degrees by game time. Uh Saturday night it will be you know around this. So it'll be in the 50s daytime the, the weather's the weather's nice in the high 60s low 70s. Um and the day game on a Sunday will be as of right now here on Friday 40% chance of rain high of 65. So it won't be so they won't be you know freezing their tails off but you know playing in 57 degree 57, 58, 60, 61, 62 degree, you know, weather having, you know, having been, having played, you know, three, has it been three? Yeah, about three, four straight games, you know, playing temperatures in the 80s and in the, and in the 90s, like the Padres, like the Padres have been for the last few days or so. It's it's it can be it could be a little bit of a shock. Granted, they have players on that rot on the roster that aren't you know strangers to playing in cold weather. You know Machado, Soto, so it's not like it's gonna it's you know it's a foreign concept. And not the not to mention this team did play three game three uh game three all three uh night games on the road in New York City about a about a two, not a well, yeah about two weeks ago. So it's not a foreign concept, but let's see if it'll ma- let's see if it will uh. If it matters, I mean, it will matter, but let's see if it takes into effect or if it will affect, excuse me, the Padre offense in the game. Because it's not just, you know, just the feel of the weather weather and being used to playing in it. It's also a matter of, you know, the, 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 the science and the art of knowing when to put enough on the ball. Because dealing with that, you know, the the ball will carry, the ball carries in the heat. It doesn't so much in the, in the cold of temperatures. And the Phillies, having played, you know, having played, you know, obviously as the home team, played a few uh, postseason games with cooler temperatures, of course, in the Atlanta series, you know, and them having no problems hitting the ball out of the ballpark and scoring runs like they did against Atlanta, you know, we will see if uh, if the same will hold true uh, against the Padres coming up this weekend. Padres, you know, got to... 
get back into the swing of things after, you know, playing a week of baseball in Southern California. You got to get back into the swing of things of dealing with that Northeast uh, cooler uh, autumn weather like they did, uh, like they had to deal with in the uh, in the Mets series. They had no problem scoring runs against the Mets, so I don't think it will be a problem for the Padres weekend. But I do, I can see the Padres dropping game three uh, tonight on Friday night because you know it's the first game. It's the first game in Philadelphia of this series. Crowd will be into it. The the not they won't be uh, into it. You know the on Saturday and Sunday. But of course the first game. You know the anticipation of it being the first game of the uh, the first game of the series being in the opposite city. They'll be into it. You know the team introductions, walking across the baseline and. And the national anthem, and and all you know, and into the pomp and circumstance. So they'll be ready. They'll be fired up. They'll be ready to go. Not to mention having a day off. Uh, they'll be a little bit energy. They will be very energetic as well. And also, like and like I said, but specifically going back to the whole weather piece, it will be. I expect it to be early for the Padres. I think they'll adjust to it quickly as they got. Even though San Diego's got Musgrove on the mound. Uh, they've got Musgrove on the mound, and they and the uh, Phillies are throwing out Ranger Suarez. I think offensively, the Padres can find themselves under a little bit of a predicament of trying to score. You know, getting used to the fact that you know playing in 57, 55 degree temperatures when they were playing in 90 degree sunshine in San Diego two days ago, and now they're playing you know temperatures of like 35, 40 plus degree. Uh, you know, difference, and they haven't, you know, been, and they haven't, you know, been playing a bait, and they, and they haven't had to play a baseball game worrying about wearing long sleeves since game three against the Mets. So I figure that's going to play a part into this series, uh, as well. But I should, it'll, I'll be, it'll be very entertaining. I'll be into it. I do not like, I predicted this series to go in seven. I'm going to stick with that, uh, prediction. The fact that this series is tied at a game of peace, I am not surprised and shocked. Under any circumstances, these two teams, for the most part, are pretty evenly matched, uh, 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 opportunistic and uh, and um, and productive uh, production out of the back end of the bullpens. Solid starting, solid starting pitching. They got a, they have players on both sides that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Whether it be uh, whether it be Soto. Machado for uh, Soto, Machado and Bell for the Padres, or uh, Harper, Hoskins and Schwarber for the Phillies. They're pretty, they're they're pretty evenly matched uh, baseball team. I like the Phillies because I like their ability to score and and, and for them to get on base and for them to score runs on, on a lot more consistent basis than I do than I uh, than I like the Padres. But other than that, you know, I expect this to be, I would be very, very, very surprised if one, if the winner of tonight's game goes ahead and puts together a three-game win streak to win the pennant. would be very, very, very surprised. I expect this to be, I, I expect them to trade wins the rest of the series. Phillies win, to, Phillies win, Phillies win tonight, Padres win tomorrow, Phillies win Sunday. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Padres win game six, Padres win game six, Phillies win game seven, win the pennant. So I think this is a very entertaining series. Musgrove 1.38 ERA, 13 strikeouts, uh, here in the, uh, here in the, uh, 
here heading into this, uh, heading into game three. Suarez left-handed uh, pitcher, Musgrove right-handed pitcher. Um, I expect the, it will take the Padres a little bit of a while for them to get used to playing in the in cooler weather again, and I think that will work to the Phillies' advantage. And I think, uh, the, and I anticipate them getting the Musgrove early and often. That that momentum of the crowd will do them wonders, especially to begin the game. Um, but I do anticipate the the Padres winning a game this weekend in Philadelphia. And uh, and I and I just expect this to be you know I expect this to come down to the wire every single uh, every single game this weekend I expect that you know no nobody's gonna you know win by three runs or more I expect margin of victory no more than three game two you had it be three runs but you know I I anticipate a tightly knit series I honestly really really do. And we've gotten it so far in this series, you know. It was down to the wire in game one and game th and in game, uh, you know, in game two. Yeah, the Padres won by three, but had to throw out Hader in the ninth inning for them to shut down the doors and uh, to get the, to, you know, for them to get the, for him to get the safe, safe situation, three runs. Both of these teams can hit. So you might, you know, another thing I see too, you could see he has just as many pitchers duels in this series as you can shootouts. Five eight game two game one was two nothing. So keep that in mind as well. Starting pitch the starting pitching can mow down the opposite lineup, you know, seven innings, lock up, rack up a whole bunch of strikeouts, barely, you know, give up three hits or less. And then you can also see, you know, lineups going into these games. The, you know, the, both teams' position players and the lineups going into these games, just the ball to them looking like a looking like the size of a grapefruit. They see the ball so well, like we saw, obviously, uh, in game two. But I anticipate the uh, I anticipate the Braves taking game three and the uh, the Braves, the Phillies taking game three and the Padres coming back and bounce back the tie series up at uh, at two apiece on Saturday and then the Phillies winning uh, game five as the series heads back to uh, San Diego for game six and seven going to be a seven game series so buckle up and enjoy it we turn our attention to National Football League week seven preview this is the Amatella Catalias podcast back in the flash Welcome back. This is the I'm Tell I Can Tell You is podcast with your host, Jai Shields. We move our attention to week seven of the National Football League. And boy, oh boy, did I have a problem trying to find a few games to talk about and break down here this week. I mean, you want to talk about a lot of eh or just ugh, garbage games that's on the schedule. And it does, and you know what hurts it, what hurts this week's schedule? Four teams are on a bye this week, and three out of the four teams that are on a bye are the top five best teams in football. The Vikings, the Eagles, the Bills are on a bye week this week, 
and the defending Super Bowl champion LA Rams. So you got the you got last season Super Bowl champs, the two best teams in each conference in the, in the Eagles and the Bills, and then you got the second best team in the NFC and the Minnesota Vikings also on a buy, also on a bye as well, which absolutely kills the schedule and it just goes to show to the point we when we rant and raved about the uh, Bears last week goes to show you know too many mouths to feed and the fact that like the quote that Tom Brady gave about a week and a half or so ago there's just a lot of bad football out there that's being played and a lot of average average at best football teams out there uh on out there this season I mean you want to from the three and three bucks to the uh from the three and three bucks to the um I'm trying to exit out of the screen. I clicked the wrong button on my uh, NFL uh, on my NFL app. From the three and three bucks to the um, you know to the three and three Bengals, the three and three Ravens, the uh, you know the, um, the the Dolphins have now fallen off. They've lost three games in a row. They're three and three. The Falcons, albeit impressive and a rebuilding team, they're also three and three. Uh, you know, the Browns are two and four, the, uh, the Jaguars, who we thought were going to be one of the team, you know, having a season like the Jets and the Giants are having their two and four. The Colts are three, two and one by the grace of God. The Titans coming off a bye are three and two. The, uh, I mean, just a lot of, you know, the Broncos who stink and are boring and unwatchable. There too, there's just a lot of, you know, the Raiders and the Texans, the combined record between those two teams, two, seven, and one. I mean, that's a bit, I mean, it's just a lot of, I mean, the one outside of your favorite team's game, whatever, you know, you, whoever your favorite team is playing, the real, the only game on a week seven schedule that you have to sink your teeth into and enjoy a la, you know, Bill's Chiefs last week, it's the tight, it's the Titans, it's the Chiefs and the 49ers, that's it, the game, the game, the 425 game of the week on Fox, that's it, that could end up, be, that could, that's a rematch, Super Bowl rematch from Super Bowl 54 from three seasons ago, uh, you know, that could end up being the Super Bowl this year. We you just never know. That's it. Jets and Broncos has a little intrigue to it and we'll break and we'll preview that game for you. Colts and Titans, the only reason why that game has any intrigue is because of the fact that that, that the winner of that game is gonna have first place in the uh, in the AFC South. And that that's the only reason why that game matters. And if you were to watch that game, if you weren't a fan of those two teams, is because is because it 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 will have a it ha, it will have division uh, implications in terms of tiebreakers of who will win the AFC South at the end of the season. Uh, such as such there is a such there will be a need, or for a tiebreaker. But that's it. You know, it is. The, those are the only that that's the only reason why you would watch that game. There's just not a lot of good games on. Uh, you know the Thursday night game. What can I say? Primetime. Andy Dalton showed up, and the Cardinals uh, beat them a forty-two thirty-four. It wasn't even it wasn't even that close. And DeAndre Hopkins returned. Saints and the Cardinals wasn't a great Thursday night game, albeit it was the first semblance of offense you've had on Thursday night in about three weeks. Uh, you know, the Sunday night game is completely atrocious. 
why why heading into the season the NFL and if I didn't scream and yell about this at the time uh I will I will not scream and yell but I'll complain about it right here why the NFL put the Steelers and the uh, put the Steelers and the um and the uh and the, and the and the Dolphins on Sunday night football I'll I'll never ever 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 understand the Steelers are re- the Steelers are rebuilding they're not going to be they weren't going to be that good heading into this seat heading into this season the week one overtime upset against my Bengals notwithstanding uh they weren't they, everybody knew they're going to be a rebuilding down year they weren't I understand it's a play they were a playoff team last year and and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I get that, but I mean, we it's we we were past the point of putting the Pittsburgh Steelers in prime time. I mean, we are. And then the Miami Dolphins, granted, with Jalen Waddle and with and with and with Tua and 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 Tyree Kill, but the but you know the Dolphins losing three games in a row has also killed this game. They've lost three games in a row, three. They started three and zero, and they've lost three, and they've lost three in a row since. They've lost to the Bengals, they've lost to the Jets, they've lost to the Miami Dolphins, which also hurts the game. And then, not to mention the fact, you know, we'll we'll you know, concerned that I'm concerned about whether or not, uh, and just a general area of concern as well, whether or not two will be able, you know, after getting hit and roughed up a couple of times, will he be able to to uh, to to uh, to tough it out and hang through and hang tough uh, in this game? So it's so it so it's uh, it it, it kill you know so that's 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 not a good game. I understand I understand seventy two dolphins. We can you know. Uh, toast champagne and some brows to the sky celebrating the 72 Dolphins on Sunday night. But I mean, you really going to watch Steelers Dolphins, you know, up against, uh, up against what, uh, game four Yankees Astros. I understand it's baseball and I understand the games on TBS, but if it's me, you know, game four, if, if game four, regardless if the Yankees win, uh, win tomorrow night or not, I'm going to be there. Game over over Steelers Dolphins. Okay, that's the that they're they're three the Dolph they're the Dolphins. You know I understand AFC's wide open, but they're not a big time team in the AFC. They're not they they're no way in hell sniffing Buffalo for the division, and the Steelers two and four. They you know it's a two team race in the AFC North. It's Bengals, it's Ravens. That's it. Steelers are not making the playoffs. I don't even think they're going to finish above five hundred. So that that that's a terrible, terrible, terrible game for NBC on Sunday night. Terrible, and then Monday night it's just as bad, if not worse. Again with another get the Bears the hell off my damn TV game, uh, playing for the first time in about ten, eleven days, uh, going up against the New England Patriots in Foxborough. I understand, you know, and it so happens to be a game where if where if the Patriots win, uh, the uh, uh, the um, the, the Belichick passes George Hallis uh for all all time in the most in the most uh, wins as an NFL head coach uh you know in the history of the National Football League and Hallis of course Papa Bear Hallis you know coach owner of the of the uh of the Chicago Bears organization but still that that's not enough of an incentive for me to watch Bailey Zappi go up against Justin Fields I got to be fair and what superstars are going to be out on the field for Bears Patriots? What? Not great players, not good players, 
superstars. You can't find me one. Bears, you can, you cannot find Bears, Patriots. You, you cannot find me one. So the week seven slate of games, uh, arguably is the not arguably it's the worst slate of games you know thus far on the young NFL season. Uh, week eight, week eight, it's better. Ravens and Bucks, Brady versus Jackson. Uh, you know, on on uh, on uh, October the twenty seventh will be it will be an intriguing game on Thursday night. That game, that's a good game on Thursday night. Finally, you get a good Thursday night game on paper for once for the first time since Dolphins for the first time since Dolphins Bengals and arguably since Chiefs and uh, since Chiefs and uh, Chargers in week two. Uh, the uh, game of the week. 49ers Rams is a good game week 8 on Fox um uh, what else uh and then the Sunday night game and the Sunday night game is good it's not great only because the Packers have have struggled out of the gate but it is Rodgers versus Josh Allen Bears or excuse me Packers Bills highly anticipated and highly predicted Super Bowl matchup uh, so you know, next week you get an improvement of uh, of the of the mark with the marquee games and Bengals and Browns is okay, rivalry game. Joe Burrow, for whatever the reason, the the as weird as this may sound, he has not beaten the Cleveland Browns yet in his NFL career. Um, uh, you know, so it's the divisional game, in-state rivalry. Burrow's never beaten Cleveland before. Depending on how Cincinnati does against the Falcons on Sunday, which I'll get to here in a minute, you know the Bengals a game that the Bengals cannot afford to lose. If the Browns want any hope of uh, making the playoffs, uh, they this is a game against Cincinnati that they have to have. So it's it's a decent game on Monday night on Halloween. Not a great night. Better than the one that we're getting on this Monday. But but it's but it's a decent night nevertheless. Week nine and then week nine Thursday night the Eagles you know you watch the Eagles you know and we'll see if they'll be undefeated because they got Pittsburgh on week eight but you know they they're playing the Texans which is a, it's a, Eagles are a great team but the game is bad because the Texans are are a complete waste of time that game could be over by halftime and you shut the TV off and you go you know if and you go you know watch something else. Uh, CBS it has the four twenty five game. Rams Bucks is a good game. Sunday night that game that week is okay. Titans and Chiefs and a Monday night game is okay. Not great with Rams or not Rams with um uh, Ravens and the Saints. As after this upcoming Sunday against Cleveland, the uh, Ravens have a stint of back to back primetime games on Thursday night and uh, Monday night. The the uh, de facto uh, mini bye week, if you will. But I found four games for me to uh, chew on and to uh, dissect here, and let's jump right into them. We will begin with the Falcons and the Bengals, two three and three teams. One three and three team is happy to be three and three. Uh, is happy to be three and three based on the fact that uh, based on the fact that this was a rebuilding year, a team that many were projected to be the worst team in the sport. They're just happy to be three and three and five hundred in uh, mid October, and the other three and three team is uh, you know three and three by the grace of God after a or, or three and three when their when their intentions to begin the season wasn't to be uh, wasn't to be uh, uh, three and three. So 
within the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, especially after starting the season uh, 0-2. But, you know, this is a game, uh, Joe Burrow said it in his press conference earlier this week, you know, the Bengals' next three games of of their regular season schedule, uh, heading into their bye weeks, week 7, 8, and 9, how they do in these three weeks, Will determine whether or not they make whether or not they make the playoffs, or and he didn't say make the playoffs, but he said among other things will depend on how their season goes. Uh, and if you don't know, I'll say it right off the top, right off the top of my head. They got the Falcons this week, the aforementioned Monday night game against Cleveland on the road, and then they play, and then they come back home to play uh, to play the Panthers. So they do not leave the state of Ohio for the next four weeks, which be which is a good thing at least for from a from a Cincinnati perspective because they've had a heavy a road heavy schedule to begin the season. They were on the road week two against Dallas, on the road against. The Jets on the road against the Ravens on the road against uh, against uh, the, against the um, against the Saints. So they've had a heavy a heavy road schedule to begin the season. And think, think about it, the the Bengals have not played a a home one o'clock game since Week One against Pittsburgh. So they have had a they have had a heavy 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 road schedule. To begin the two thousand, to begin the two thousand and uh, and twenty two season, but like Burrow said early in the week, depend this these next three games are make or break for Cincinnati. You you go ahead and you take care of business, and you uh, and you go three and you go three and zero, oh, then things are looking things are looking rather promising for the Bengals heading into the bye week at uh, what would be a projected six and three. You go, you go, uh, two and one. It's a little 50 50 at five and three. You'd love five. You, if they went two and if they went two and one, you'd still, you'd still feel somewhat on the fence. They would be above 500 heading into the bye week at, uh, at five and four. Uh, you know, but you know, you would love to be with two, t- with all three teams with 500 records or worse. With the uh, with the Falcons having the best one at three and three, you would love for them to just handle their business and just go, just go into these next three games, kick ass and take names, be three and zero oh, heading into the bye week at six and three, three games above five hundred, and then come out of the bye week at a, at a week eleven or uh, around roughly the midway point of the season, and then just be prepared to go on your run. But three and zero oh should be the standard. Two and one, you wouldn't like, but you would take anything. One and two or zero oh and three, the team's dead in the water, not making the not 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 making the playoffs. So you can kiss your Super Bowl hopes and your Super Bowl tickets goodbye. So and one and two and zero oh and three would be completely unacceptable, and I'd be screaming and yelling from the heavens if God forbid they were to go zero oh and three in these next zero oh and three or one and two in these next three in this next. Uh, uh, trio stretch of games but they should aim for and their standard should be 3 and 0
Anything less than three and zero, it's a fa- it's 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 a failure, and it's not good enough. They, if they want to prove to America, to themselves, and to the fan base seriously that they are that they are ready to be taken seriously again in terms of the Super Bowl contenders conversation, and also keep pace with the Ravens and in the, in the uh, keep pace with the Ravens for first place in AFC North, they got to go out there and just kick ass, take names, three and zero. Not anything, anything less than that, and if I and I and be generous two and one, it's unacceptable, and they're and they're and they will be on a road to nowhere, on a road to seven and ten, eight and nine, or if they're lucky, nine and eight, and sitting on their asses come uh, the second weekend of January. They got to go out there. The the Falcons are a good team. They can run the football, well coached, competitive team. Uh, and, and them not having DJ reader has, has definitely reared its ugly head in the last two games where they weren't great at stopping, uh, Baltimore's running attack in, on Sunday, on that Sunday night, two weeks ago. And then they were just absolutely atrocious against the saints on Sunday. So they have missed DJ reader tremendously. Although the saints really attacked the outside uh, the outside with the uh, with the with the uh, with the you know rushing or running the football on the edge and attacking the edges for Cincinnati, they will have no Logan Wilson this week, which does them no favors either. Um, and, and a player that they really can ill afford to lose. Um, so they're gonna have to find a way to get the job done. And if honestly, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals offense, this is gonna be one of those games. Last week it was a little similar. Uh, it was a little, it was last week. It was a little similar because of the, uh, because, because of the fact that, um, because of the fact that, that the offense finally handled and kept up their end of the bargain and scored, uh, 30 and scored 30 points for the first time in eons. But if you're the Bengals offense, your goal heading into this game is to if the if the Bengals defense gives up twenty four points twenty eight points it shouldn't it it shouldn't matter at the end of the day this is going to be one one of those games where the final score has got to be forty two to twenty four you give up twenty you give up twenty one twenty four points you won't like it but if your offense essentially scores every single opportunity to put the hands on the football you can get away with it. One of those games where the offense has got to has got to carry eighty percent of the workload. Burrow those three hundred plus yards. Mixon has a day running the football. If the opportunity, if the if the game plan and if the ebb and flow of the game opens itself up for Mixon to have a big day, Chase has got to go crazy. If not Chase, get the ball to Tyler Boyd more and feed him, feed him, feed him, feed him, feed him. T Higgins recovering off of the bad ankle. Uh, uh, target him when when uh, you know when he's in the game and when the opportunities present himself and the offense has just got they got to literally put it in their heads that when we step on the field on Sunday every single time we touch the football we are going to score just to get it through your heads to hell what the defense does the defense gives up 10 points 14 17 21 24 if they give up less than 28 points, I say less than 25. 20, if the Bengals defense gives up 25 points or less, there will be there should be no excuse for the Bengals not to be able to win this game. Again, if the final score is 42-24, 
I I can live with it. If it's 35-21, I can live with it. I honestly just want to I just want to see the Bengals more importantly more than anything. I want to see them put put together back-to-back games of scoring 30 points or more. That's what I want to see. I want to see I want to see fluid play calling. I want to see smart play calling. I want to see a good game plan. I want to see Burrow have 50 years to throw the football behind, you know, chilling in the pocket. I want his throws to be smooth. I want the receivers to be on the same page. I want catch. I want catching runs. I want big runs. I want big plays, whether it's because of the yards after the catch by the wide receiver or Burrow's deep ball is clicking. I want to see a consistent performance from the Bengals' offense. That's and I, I, I want the and the thing I want the offense to be so good that the defense shouldn't even matter. Take the game out of the defense's hands. A lot of times this season, it's been on the defense to keep the Bengals within the game. This time, I need more than anything, especially because Logan's out. I need them more than anything than the offense to take the slack off of the defense and say, defense, we got y'all. Y'all give up 21, 24 points, y'all going to be fine because we're going to see the people, we're going to drop 40 on these suckers. That's what I want from Cincinnati in this game on Sunday. I don't expect the Falcons to lie down and die. I expect the Falcons to give the Bengals the best effort. But at the end of the day, I need to see the, you know, the Falcon. I, I need to see, even though they got the same record, talent-wise, the Falcons are not the Cincinnati Bengals. Talent-wise. Talent-wise. The, this is the game the Bengals have to win simply because they just are more talented and have more playmakers than the Falcons do. Period. End of story. Again, if the final score is 42-24, I will be okay with it. I will be okay with it. If the Bengals never trail, if they, if they never trail in the game they and, and they win 42 I will be fine. I will be fine. I will be fine. This is the day I need to see the Bengals offense put back put together back to back solid days offensively. And for once for the bang for the for for the game not to not to come down to the final five to the final six six minutes or less of the fourth quarter. I want this game over early fourth quarter by the end of the third quarter. That's what I want. Not saying it's gonna happen, but I as a fan, that's what I want. Colts and Titans. Colts got to be able to uh, got to be able to stop Derrick Henry. They could not stop Derrick Henry, and it's really crazy that that you know that they are that they've completed their season series, uh, you know within within the within the first eight weeks of the season is is crazy. But I got to see the Colts defense go out there and stop Derrick Henry. He ran rough shot all over the defense last week. Or excuse me, the last time they played, he got to be able to shut down Derrick Henry. I also want to see if the Titans are going to come out flat coming out of the bye week. You know, the Colts somehow, some way, found a way to put together uh, back-to-back wins. They they beat the Broncos and that and that uh, and that slop fest on that Thursday night, and then they found a way to come back and beat the Jaguars last week in the final closing seconds. Pascal caught the touchdown. With about 17 or so seconds remaining for Matt Ryan. So let me see the Colts put together three wins in a row. Four and four, two and one. 
and and have their families feeling a lot better about things and basically salvage in the middle of the season when it was a horrible first three weeks. Let let me see them go out there and put together three wins, uh, three three straight wins in a row. Let me let me let me see them let me see them do that. And the Titans, whether or not they'll come out flat, how Ryan Tannehill will match up against the Indianapolis Colts offense. And uh, will the Colts be able to stop uh, stop the force that is Derrick Henry? The tight, the Jets and the Broncos. This is a game that if you're the Jets and you want to be taken seriously as a big time football team, and you want to uh, and you want to show the world and you want to flex on everybody that hey the New York Jets are here to say and dare I say be a sleeper Super Bowl contender. Uh, or Super Bowl contender. What the hell am I saying? Such such blasphemy. Uh, playoff contender. Not where in the hell did the Super Bowl come from? Playoff contender. This is a game you have to win against the Broncos. The Denver the Denver Broncos offense. The Denver Broncos offense stinks. They are anemic. They are pathetic. They are unwatchable. Russell Wilson is washed. He stinks. Takes way too many sacks. Can't find and throw to the open wide receivers. They cannot run the football worth a damn. Nathaniel Hackett is out to lunch. There, 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 there is not enough words in the English dictionary to to describe how badly, uh, how badly the Denver Broncos offense is, and how and how many bad and how much and how much. How many things I hate about the Denver Broncos offense? There's not enough. There's not enough words in the English dictionary. There's not. There is. There is not enough words. So if you're the New York Football Giants, Football Giants. If you're the New York Jets, you gotta go out there, kick ass, take names, and go hunting the same way you did. The same way you did Aaron Rodgers the week before. Literally, your mindset should be no different. The, you, the same way you went and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, don't, and you, and you went out there and you got after Aaron Rodgers and you wreaked havoc in the, on, you know, on the Green Bay offensive line and you took away their receivers and Sauce Gardner, who's had a sensational rookie season. Same, the same, you, got, you basically you got to do the same thing. Got to do the same thing. Get after Russell Wilson, make him sweat, make him hold on to the football, uh, for too long, cause you know, especially cause you know, good and well that it, that for whatever the reason, uh, he he you know he isn't he isn't gonna tuck and he isn't gonna you know tuck it and run and avo- and avoid taking sacks like he did you know eight eight nine seven five years ago. You get after Russell Wilson, collapse the pocket around him, lock down man defense. And uh, and find a way, and, and if you're the Jets' offense, find a way to put up points against against a, a pretty damn good Denver Bronco defense. The problem with the Jets will be not will not be shutting down Russell Wilson. The problem with the Jets will be will they somehow generate enough offense to give him a chance to win the game? That that's that's what it's that's what it's going to come down to. Because you'd hate you know if you're there, if you're a Jet fan. The Broncos defense essentially play perfect, but your offense can't do a damn thing. And the final score of this game is twelve nine or twelve six in a in a in a field goal and punt fest. So the Jet offense has got to do, and Zach Wilson didn't do a whole hell of a lot uh, in the uh, in in the game last week against Green Bay, but he didn't have to. Depending on how this game goes, he may have to. 
because Green Bay has got a better because the Denver Broncos got a better defense than the Packers do. Got got a much better defense, better secondary, more playmakers on more playmakers on defense than than the uh, than the uh, Green Bay Packers do at this moment in time. So Zach Wilson's got to be able to make some plays, run the football well, run it efficiently, but. Opportunity Zach Wilson's got to get his team, get the ball in the end zone. He's got to be able to deliver the goods. And if you're the Jet, if you're a Jet fan, that's the one thing that would concern you. It is would it would be will the Jets at least put together two offensive drives where they can put the ball in the end zone to give themselves a chance? But if you're the Jets, if you want to be taken seriously as the Jets are back, then you should then you should have. Little to no issues at all beat, beating the lowly Denver Broncos. None. None. And if you're Denver, if you want to save your season, I suggest you take the Jets off of cloud nine and uh, and, and give them a piece of, you know, Chef Russ, time for you to cook up a, uh, a, a, a nice, uh, hot, humble pie for the New York Jets if you want to save your season. Chiefs and the 49ers, listen, with the 49ers, the problem is with them, and you saw it last week when they lost to the, to the to the Falcons, the thing that would annoy you and bother you about the 49ers, and they did trade for Chris McCaffrey, let me give you my two thoughts, let me give you my two cents on that trade here for a minute, you know, I don't think that's, that's, that's going to be, that, that's not a trade that's going to that that's 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 going to uh, you know blow up the NFC. That that that's that's not a Odell Beckham Jr. level uh, level uh, acquisition like like when the uh, Rams went ahead and got him last year. No, it's just, it's not it's not that. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not. And they granted they didn't give any first round draft capital for him, but I cannot. Chris McCaffrey's injury prone. Injury prone, dare I say, is nearing towards the the peak of his prime and being passed. But I, I'm sorry, it's I'm sorry, it's I'm not gonna sit up here and and crown the 49ers Super Bowl champions, Super Bowl champions or NFC champions because they went ahead and they traded for Christian McCaffrey. Not I'm not, and I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that um. That uh, that um, Kyle Shanahan can you can utilize him properly, and that he and that he can't be a a valiant and useful piece within the 49 offense. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm what I'm saying is that he he has not over the period over a period of time been proven that he's durable enough, durable enough, and reliable enough. To be that pe- to be that offensive piece that makes offenses shiver in their boots. He's got he's got to show up and he's got to he's got to be healthy. I got to see Chris McCaffrey, you know, go out there and essentially play the rest of the season unscathed before I sit up here and 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 not, and what I mean unscathed, I don't mean the 49ers coddle him and baby him where he where he barely where he's barely out there on the field. No, no, no. I'm talking about heavy workload, heavily involved in a running game, and having Chris McCaffrey after every single tackle, every single hit, he's able to stand upright. Because 
his durability is a major, major, major problem. Why that? Why do you think the for? Why do you think the Carolina Panthers didn't acquire any first, any future first round draft picks for him? They're all late round picks, late, late, later draft picks. One by that one just by sheer happenstance, by coincidence. So do I? So will Shanahan make him part of the offense and get him involved? Yes. Oh, the whole, my question is: Will Chris McCaffrey be involved with the offense? Because will he be healthy enough to be involved? Will he be healthy enough so that he can be involved on a cons- on a consistent basis? That's what I want to know, and that's what we will have to wait and see and find out. But about the Chiefs and the Forty Nine ers getting back to that game, the thing that bothers you and always pisses you off about the San Francisco Forty Nine ers every single time you're ready to crown them. Favorites in the NF, you're ready to crown them favorites in the NFC, uh, in the NFC West, and to make it out of the NFC. Every single time you do that, they go ahead and they lay eggs to inferior competition, and Jimmy G plays like crap. You know, you cannot, under any circumstances, you know, expect to be taken seriously as Super Bowl contender, and you're losing to inferior teams such as the Atlanta Falcons. You got you. These are that's those are games that the 49ers have got to be able to win. And going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you know you gotta be you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to take care of business. Jimmy G's got to play. Why do you think they didn't win the Super Bowl a few years ago? Jimmy G was 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 very good for three quarters and then gagged in quarter number four. And Patrick Mahomes, being the great talent that he is, took advantage of it, and that's all. And that's all she wrote. You gotta you again, Josh Allen. Look at all the other. Look at the quarterbacks. You gotta outside of Matt Ryan this year, but. Majority of the time, you got to outplay Patrick Mahomes for four quarters in order to beat him. And Jimmy G can't, you know, fall asleep for quarters one and two or fall asleep for quarter number four or four. No, you got to be on your A game and got to outdo Mahomes. Granted, the Chiefs offense isn't as high flying and, and as powerful and as dynamic as what, as what it was when they played him in the Super Bowl when they had Sammy Watkins and obviously Tyree Kill at the time. But they, but they, but they gotta be able. They gotta be able, Jimmy G. That is to take care of the football, smart throws, accurate throws, and 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 meet and meet the uh, the um, the, uh, the the Chiefs score for score. Because this could be a game that I could see. You know the the Chiefs defense, which has improved, and and it's and it's. Unique ways, uh, I I could see them giving the 49ers fits and and in the final score of this game being you know, twenty one to seven, where the Chiefs offense doesn't go crazy but they make enough plays to win the game, in part because the uh, the 49er offense can't move the ball downfield. But Jimmy G's got to be able to take care of the football. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's got to be on his p's and q's with his play calling. And um and you can and you cannot give Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City an inch. You cannot. Do like the 49ers though, they do get Nick Bosa, Trent Williams, and Jimmy Ward back in this game. So their chances of winning go up go up a little bit more. Bosa will uh will attack the tackles uh in ways that uh in ways that Von Miller did last week and and uh and um 
what's his name? The uh, defensive lineman for the Raiders. Max Crosby did uh, for the Raiders the week the game before that. So I do anticipate Nick Bosa and a 49er pass rush getting to Mahomes in this game. But I expect to be very low scoring. First to score 20, 21 points. Win the game. Trent Williams also helps the 49ers offensive line as well. But I expect it to be a low scoring game. Good game, but low scoring. Take a break. Pick that game and all the other games on the Week 7 slate to close out the show. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. We welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. It's about that time. Final segment of this sh- of uh, this weekend show. Thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, by the way, every now and again, I am on the uh, Wednesday night uh, tailgate. Like, there you go. Sorry about that. Had to plug in and charge my uh, computer right quick. Every uh, when, every now and again, not all the time, not every week, but every now and again, I am on the Wednesday night tailgate uh, podcast uh, with my guys. Uh, with my guys, I give you uh, their names right quick because they deserve a shout out. They do an excellent job with uh, my guys, Mike Ruick and uh, Drill Sergeant Z. Uh, Wednesday night tailgate, Anthony Zavala, uh, they do an excellent job. They live, it's live streamed podcast. Two guys are just, uh, conversing and talking about uh, the national foot, the weekend that was the national football league and also previewing, uh, the upcoming Sunday's uh, slate of games. Their show is on, it's live streamed every single Wednesday night at 6 30 PM on the Spotify live app and every now and again you are truly uh will make an appearance on the show to uh chop it up with the fellas and uh you'll know when i'm on there uh in the you know after i'm in in case you don't catch me live whenever i retweet it or you tune in you hear me live episodes that i've been on you can also check them out on a spot, check them out and subscribe to them on Spotify as well. I will uh, share the link on my Twitter page at the J Shield and also in the one I did on Wednesday, two days ago, I uploaded the link to that show on uh, my uh, Instagram story. So check it out and give those. Oops, sorry, I dropped my phone. Uh, so check those guys uh, out if you. Uh, well, it'd be greatly appreciated. It's that time of the show, week seven of the National Football League. Hard to believe. It feels like it was only week one, week two, week three. You know, our first three weeks of the National Football League season. And now we're creeping closer and closer towards uh, the halfway point of the season, which is absolutely hard to believe. Didn't we just start this football season? Now it's, all, now it's just about halfway over. My goodness gracious. Anyway. Week 7 of National Football League in the league where they play for pay. Matchup number 1 between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are 6.5 point favorites coming off of their crushing, heartbreaking loss to the New York Football Giants last week. Meanwhile, Cleveland Still looking their wounds off of uh, their blowout loss to the hands, or at the hands, I should say, of the New England Patriots at home last week. Ravens are six and a half point favorites. Give me the Ravens to get back on track with a 31-2-17 victory as we move things along 
with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are 11-point favorites, taking on the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers, a lot of turmoil within that team. Uh, Robbie Anderson traded to the Cardinals earlier this week. They fired Matt Rule after their, uh, or excuse me, before their, uh, or no, after their uh, loss to San Francisco 49ers in between that game and the uh, Ram game that followed. A lot of turmoil within that team. Meanwhile, the Bucks are dealing with a little bit of turmoil of their own. Tom Brady and Tim Bay Buccaneers offense has been inept. Upset loss at the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road last week as they return to division play here to take on Carolina. Bucks got to get it right at some point. Why not have it be this week? Give me the Bucks to win this game by the final score of 28 to 7. We shall continue with the Atlanta Falcons taking on my Cincinnati Bengals, who are six point favorites. Bengals last time out, courtesy of a 60-yard catch-and-run. Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase in their own stopping and their old stopping grounds of uh, the Caesars. What is at the time was called the Louisiana, but now called the uh, the Caesars Superdome down in New Orleans, Louisiana. Took care of business, beating the Saints last week to improve to three and three. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Falcons are coming off an impressive upset victory at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Give me the uh, give me my Cincinnati Bengals to take care of business, winning this game by a final score of 35 to 21. We move things along with the Detroit Lions, who are heading into this game to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott is back. And behind and back behind center is QB1 for the Dallas Cowboys. The Cooper Rush experience is now over. Dak Prescott, first time starting uh, for the Cowboys this season since their week one Sunday night defeat against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions are heading into this game having gotten shut out 29 to nothing. Uh, having gotten shut out 29 to nothing. Uh, their last game uh, two weeks ago against the New England Patriots. I believe they had a bye week. Let me just uh, double check that to make sure that I am right. Uh, yep, they had a bye week last week coming off of their bye last game two weeks ago was uh, 29 to nothing shutout loss at the hands of New England Patriots up at Foxborough. Give me the Dallas Cowboys who are favored by seven points to win this game uh, in very convincing fashion by the final score of 28-13. Meanwhile, you move ahead to the New York Football Giants coming off of their impressive come-from-behind double-digit comeback victory against the uh, Baltimore Ravens last Sunday. They fly south to take on... uh, to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars who are licking their wounds after their heartbreaking last second defeat at the hands of the uh, Indianapolis Colts last Sunday. The Jaguars are favored by a field goal, giving the New York football giants to improve to dare I say six and one on the season, giving the New York football giants to win this game in a close one by the final score of 20 by the final score of 23-20. You move things along with the Indianapolis Colts who beaten the aforementioned Jaguars at home last week, heading into a must-needed divisional game against the Tennessee Titans. Two-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their bye week uh, as well last week. Give me 
the uh, Tennessee Titans to take care of business and win this game by the final score of 24-21. Green Bay Packers, five-and-a-half point favorites coming off of their embarrassing home loss at the hands of the New York Jets. Last week, they uh, go on the road to take on the Washington Commanders coming off of their ugly, ugly, ugly Thursday night victory once upon a time a week and a half ago, thereabouts against the Chicago Bears on the road on Thursday night. Uh, Give me the Green Bay Packers to bounce back and to win this game by the final score of 27-10. Moving things along with the New York Jets coming off of their aforementioned upset victory over the Green Bay Packers last week. They continue on a road stretch as they take on the uh, Denver Broncos, who are one-and-a-half-point favorites, losing in overtime to the uh, L.A. Chargers earlier in the work week by a field goal in overtime, giving the New York Jets, excuse me, to win this game by the final score of 17-10. We move things along with the Houston Texans. Who currently are uh, who currently are uh, going through a rough patch and a rough season right now, uh, as they take on the um, as they take on the um, Vegas Raiders, who are coming off of their bye, uh, and prior to their bye, they had a crushing uh, last second Monday night uh, loss to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs on the road last time out. They're favored by a touchdown. Give me the uh, Las Vegas Raiders to get back on track uh, by the final score of 31-14. We move things along with the Seattle Seahawks, who are coming off of an ugly victory themselves, uh, beating uh, the St. the St. Louis Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, in a defensive slugfest. Meanwhile, the can't the Los Angeles Chargers six and a half point fairs coming off of their aforementioned overtime victory off the courtesy of the sore leg of Dustin Hopkins. Give me the Chargers to take care of business and to win this game by the final score of 28 to 24. We move things along with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are three point favorites, taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Who are three, or excuse me, so 49ers uh, who get Bosa and get Jonah Williams back this week. Not Jonah Williams, uh, uh, Trent Williams, I apologize. Get coming off of their, uh, um, uh, their uh, frustrating loss last week at the hands of the Atlanta Falcons on the road. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs are three point favorites coming off of a last second defeat. At the hands of uh, the Buffalo, at the hands of the Buffalo Bills at Arrowhead last week, favored by field goal in the Super Bowl 54 rematch, expected to be very competitive, yet also low-scoring first to score 21 points to win the game, and give me the San Francisco 49ers to get the job done, winning this game by the final score of 24 to 21. We shall continue. With the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are seven point, as my music's not cooperating, as the Pittsburgh Steelers are seven point underdogs taking on the Miami Dolphins in the uh, eyesore of a Sunday night game. Dolphins coming off of uh, their loss last week at home at the hands of Kirk Cousins, 
Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and the Minnesota Vikings. Seven-point favorites. They've lost three games in a row. Got to have this game against the inferior Pittsburgh uh, as uh, they looked at, as the Dolphins try to uh, save their season, which has been free-falling over the last three weeks. Get above 500 for the first time uh, since for the first time in about two, three weeks as they look to get the job done against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh coming off of an impressive, impressive upset victory over the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home last week as they look to try to uh, make it two wins in a row and improve the three and four on the season. Dolphins favored by seven. Looks like they'll have two a back, as I will predict. This is a tough game to call, but I will predict the Miami Dolphins take care of business and will win this game by the final score of 27-10. We move things along and close things out with the Monday night game this week, the unwatchable, pathetic, garbage Chicago Bears coming off of their Thursday night loss in week six at the hands of uh, Carson Wentz and all of his 99 passing yards and the Washington Commanders as they head up north to take on Bill Belichick and New England Patriots, eight-point favorites, coming off of their impressive blowout victory against the, uh, against the anemic Cleveland Browns. Give me the New England Patriots to win this game by the final score of 27-10 to take care of business. And all of a sudden, the New England Patriots what would look out to be a bleak start of the, a bleak start to their 2022 season doesn't look too bleak anymore. And those are your, at least one would hope, if they win by my predictions, favored by eight points, as I got them winning by a final score of 27-10. So, it will be not, I don't anticipate being as great of a weekend in sports as it was last week, but you do have uh, week eight of the college football season coming up. Uh, coming up at you, coming at you this Saturday. You got the first weekend of the 2022-2023 NBA regular season. You got hockey if that fits your forte. Not to mention you got Game Three NLCS on Friday night. Game Four on Game Four on Saturday. Game Five on Sunday. You got games. Uh, you got games. Uh, three, four, and five on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday up up at the Bronx between the Yankees and the Astros, and Week Seven a pretty mid meh Week Seven slate of games if you ask me. But hey, NFL football is NFL football, and that will come at you or that excuse me is headed up, is uh, up on the uh, weekend slate of sports. Uh, coming up on uh, Sunday and then into Monday night with the unwatchable uh, Bears taking on the New England Patriots. But that is your show. Another episode of the Amtelikatelius podcast in the books. If you are new to the program, like what you heard, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Please don't be afraid to leave a review on the uh, channel's page. You can check us out at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. It's your boy, Josh Shields. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Y'all take care. See ya.